I've learned that um, if, if you as a leadership team are not prepared to put about 40% of your time and your effort relentlessly focused on culture and mindset, leadership style and behaviours, don't even start the journey because it takes that much. Today you're going to hear from Rachel Hyam and since this recording she's moved from her role as Head of Technology at British Telecom globally to WPP, one of the world's largest advertising groups. So now let's get into it. Growth Magic is a podcast exploring the techniques of exceptional leaders and how they weave together ingenuity, intent and serendipity to realise big things. We invite storytellers from business, champions of impact, fast growth, entrepreneurs and executives of major change to reveal their secrets and share their vision for the new world. I'm Hugh Evans. And I'm Liz Wise, and today we're joined by one of the coolest cats in tech, a formidable advocate for diversity and inclusion, superstar CIO and managing director of IT at BT, Rachel Hyam. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Liz. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. <laughs> Rachel, great to see you again. Uh, Lovely to be here. Now, been thinking a bit about uh, catching up. We're, obviously, we've worked now together for, for years uh, on the transformation at BT and also prior to that at uh, Ace Insurance. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe just for the listeners, uh, give us a little bit of a, a, a heads up about the role that you're in at the moment at BT. Uh, so I have the privilege of leading around 14,500 technologists to um, develop great products and services and colleague and customer experiences for all of the BT brands and for all of our B2C, B2B communication provider and retail businesses. And uh, so you're midway through or, or some way through a very significant transformation. I'd love to get into that uh, topic in a moment. But before I do, if we just jumped into the time machine and went back 10 years and you, you considered what IT organisations were like in global businesses 10 years mm-hmm. ago, what would be strikingly different uh, about then from today? I think it's the the, um, the role that IT and technology is playing in the business. I think uh, 10 years ago, it was very much a cost centre. It was quite transactional. It was a support function. Now, it, it, it often is the business. Um, and it's certainly, it, it, the technology strategy is driving the business strategy far more than ever before. Um, I think the way we think about technology now is, is also less transactional. We're thinking more about the holistic impact on, on society, on community, on the environment, on... Um, uh, on people, uh, just as much as we are, uh, you know, deploying new capability into an organisation. I've noticed over that time in my career uh, a shift from very big bang uh, IT investments. It, we, they still happen, but there is an inclination to do much more lean startup type work, mm-hmm. where we incrementally uh, wayfind and deliver value. Um, how is transformation delivered these days by comparison to then? Yeah, you're right. There's been, a, there's been a massive shift. We used to embark on uh, five to seven year generational lurches in technology that would take you know, five to seven years to, to complete if they ever did. It would take tens to hundreds of millions of, uh, of budget. And um, it was a bit like painting the fourth bridge. By the time you'd finished, you had to start again. Your requirements are completely shifted in the time it took you to deploy. And organisations have got, have got tired of, of, of that failure rate um, in their organization and just the the slow pace at which new capabilities were being delivered into the organization so now it is is much that the um, lean startup model it is all about um, doing the design thinking to deeply understand your customer needs and put and uh, and pain points designing your organization and operating model and capabilities around that and prototyping co-creating um, the new 
version of whatever it is you're, you're transforming quickly, validating it, um, deploying it in, in an area and then scaling from there out once you've proved it. But, but doing it in a way that is cloud first and digitally native so that you can scale incredibly rapidly. Uh, and that's been a, a massive shift. Yeah, and right now with everything that's going on around the world, uh, everybody's going to digital first, digital twin mm. uh, strategies. Uh, you've pointed to a number of different tools in the toolkit that are becoming the tools of transformation. Uh, and, and even the word transformation, I'm finding with certain clients <laughs> that, that there's a shift towards modernisation as being the word that people are adopting um, because it's uh, not quite as loaded as, uh, as transformation. And, and I think there is a lot of fatigue f uh, for transformation uh, that's developed over the years. But back to the toolkits, uh, what do you see as the principal toolkits uh, in your kit bag to, to make transformation happen? Uh, the most powerful tool for, for me is, uh, is design thinking. Uh, and the reason for that is it helps your technology teams um, become very human-centred. Uh, and very customer centric. So it gets them out there doing you know, ethnographic and observational research, deeply understanding the journeys and experience of the people they're creating solutions for. Um, and all too often technologists forget that step. Um, I think the, the other two key um, methods are, are Agile and DevOps. And I think when you bring the three together, you can really create something extremely powerful because you, with design thinking, you make sure you design the right thing. Uh, with Agile and DevOps, you're delivering it in the right way um, and bringing those two things together um, delivers some extraordinary outcomes. And I would add to that, the, um, there's been this journey that I've been participating in, I guess, from the beginning of our uh, business you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, the, the architectural uh, development and maturity in businesses has, has got, come a long mm. way. And and I noticed that, you know, way back when we had sort of this idea of enterprise architecture, was, which was seen as uh, ivory tower, uh, out of the way and uh, not necessarily adding a lot of value. Uh, and, uh, but the emergence of solution architecture as a way to mm -hmm. understand how all the pieces of the, of the technology jigsaw will fit together to meet a set of business requirements. And over time, there's been this sort of over uh, developing convergence between the bottom up and top down views of architecture. There has. And it's, I think what's, what we've also seen is that enterprise architecture grew out of technical architecture, uh, largely sort of infrastructure and application architecture. I think what we're now seeing is enterprise architecture starting with uh, business architecture and actually even beyond that, business design. And then that's informing what the technical architecture needs to be, whereas before it was more, more this is the technical architecture, how would the business then use it? Um, the, the, the service uh, mode has completely flipped uh, in, in the new world. Yeah, for sure. The, and, and you mentioned the human-centred design uh, part of that as well. So what we've seen is this journey from outside in in terms of what does the customer need, the ethnographic research, the design thinking and bringing those skills inside the organisation. We've seen the growth of the bottom-up of uh, technical and solution architecture into a more business architecture uh, way, yeah. way of operating. We've seen a shift from big bang to more agile, lean startup. And uh, we've also seen this need to, to really anchor decisions on clear references within the business that, that uh, reflect the, the strategy and the ambition of the business in a much more direct and tangible way. Yeah, I mean, all of our conversations now around business cases is, is um, in service of value and outcomes and speed to those value and outcomes. That's very different to the way we used to construct business cases 10 years ago. Um, it was all about cost takeout, wasn't it? And let's talk about value and value streams because the... Uh, 
We're in the middle of actually designing a new bank at the moment and uh, part of the discussion is about, well, what does a new bank look like? Do you have a uh, core uh, platform that can plug in all the fintech services and, and, and offerings in, a, in an effective way and create essentially a new common core or do you create a new platform that uh, delivers, creates and delivers all of those new capabilities and services? Um, What's the, what's, how do you see things developing in enterprise and, and specifically in telco? Yeah, we have the same shift in, in telco right now. You know, we've, our, our system stack was very much predicated on the network core and operating systems layer that would um, orchestrate and, uh, and mediate that, those network services. And then a business service layer, which interacted with your customers and, and various stakeholders and partners. Uh, and they were very discrete layers. In fact, you usually had different parts of your organization in silos, um, transforming and evolving those three layers. Now it's much more of how do we create a, an end-to-end -end service all the way through the stack, right through to software-defined uh, network components to, to create great experiences for customers. And uh, even those experiences now are created from bundles across our products and services. So we're having to decomponentize um, previous products and services like broadband, uh, like, like TV and sport, like a mobile connection, and actually look at what are the individual characteristics you'd want to bundle together to transform um, an organization or individual's ability to, to communicate, connect and, uh, and collaborate. It makes me think of the ecosystem when we, when we sort of go back up to sort of that whole um, business view of, of, of how these businesses are evolving. We're seeing sort of best of breed services um, being uh, readily sort of engageable and plug and play, and this is sort of the vision and the ambition for creating a um, uh, highly uh, agile, uh, uh, just in time readiness to deliver certain value propositions to different customers. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine if you're a CEO in an organisation, you're thinking, "Wow, this is what's going on at the vanguard of technology and business." You know, what do I need to understand? To be able to play in this space, do I do I just need a good advisor? Do I need a good architect? Do I need a good CIO, or yeah. or is there another skill set? Or should I go back to school and learn something? I mean, what's your advice to a CEO um, to be able to grasp those issues? It's all of those things, but I think my, my main advice would be pull the right new ecosystem of advisors around yourself. You know, every industry, every organization right now is finding itself in the middle of a brand new ecosystem uh, or value chain uh, that, that didn't exist 10 years ago. So look outside your real traditional partners, your traditional industry uh, stakeholders and uh, and pull that, that blanket of, of new advisors around you that uh, can bring you innovation at pace, can bring you and harvest your best practices from, from other industries and, and the industries you serve. Um, but it can also help you transform culture and mindset so that you drive that human centricity, that in-service of mindset throughout your organisation and make sure you're delivering the right things. And then what we're finding at BT is that with, with the, the newest service defined, software defined services, we don't yet know what our customers will want to do with them. So SD-WAN um, is a classic example, or 5G, where we're going to actually have to innovate with some early trial customers to define the services we build and deploy at scale to, to the rest of our customers to really validate the use cases, the business cases and, and the outcomes. And that's a very different proposition for a CEO because they're used to uh, building something internally, launching it, and, and having a market um, to, to, to work with, they're now going to have to go to the market first 
to do the, the, the research and the design to then build the product to then cycle back out again. And that's that's a whole, you're going to have to change your entire operating model to, to be able to, to support that. So go and look at industries that, that already do that well. And talking about design research, uh, in our project with you at BT, um, a big part of this has been around co-design and the mm -hmm. ethos that sits underneath that, which is about being in service of each other. Because yes. we all believe uh, that a, a business is essentially made up of people who are in service of each other, a good business. That's the best way to, best way to operate. And um, it's really easy to overlook, but it, it shouldn't be understated, the importance of culture and, and how we cultivate the right culture for a modern enterprise. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about your experiences there? Yeah, I mean, for me, co-design was was probably the the most important characteristic of, a, of the transformation journey we established. And the reason I, I, I chose design thinking and co-design specifically was because I inherited an organisation that had become very disconnected from its customer. You know, I'd go and do floor walks in our engineering uh, centre in, in Bangalore and just ask an engineer, who are you building this for? And, and they would have no clue. They were just following a requirement spec. And, and that just crushed my heart. <laughs> so um, the the and they 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 sort of got to a point where they didn't even know how to describe a customer and they thought a customer was just one of our external customers and didn't see our internal colleagues and, and stakeholders as customers either so to reset that and to build that in service of mindset we we established a principle that we would design uh, everything using co-design and that co-design would happen with our actual customers and users of the products or service we were designing, but also the team that would uh, design, deliver and support that service in life as well. And by doing that, you know, we've had some phenomenal outcomes. Um, our average NPS for any IT service is plus 55, and that, that's gone up from minus 28. So we've got a huge swing. Our highest is plus 81, which is extraordinary, world beating. Um, our employee engagement scores have gone up seven points into the early 80 percent that that's extraordinary um but the adoption of every single service has happened so fast um one of our first services was to control to scan open source um libraries that that our teams are downloading um, we got 65 percent of our team using that tool within six months uh, because we co-designed the service wrap all the adoption and comms and engagement and the reason for, 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 for using this service um, was designed with them and for them. Uh, and then, you know, it, adoption just flows. It's effortless. And, and not just adoption and experience, but there were some pretty significant financial gains there as well. Yeah, I mean, almost by accident, we, we took 38%, about $295 million out of our, of our cost base on an annualised basis. And um, although you know, cost transformation was a big part of our transformation journey, we never actually really talked about it with our team. We talked about creating the right service, the right experience, investing in their skills, eliminating dull, manual, uh, wasteful work, being disciplined around, around quality and, um, and outcomes. And that, that saving sort of fell out of the back end of, of the process. So... It, it, it feels great for our team, it feels great for our customers, but there is an enormous financial benefit to, to approaching transformation this way. That's huge. And I'm seeing this two-sided case for transformational modernisation everywhere, you know, reduce cost, improve outcomes and experience. And, mm. uh, you know, you don't, you don't do one or the other in many cases. And the, uh, getting back to the point around uh, culture, what was memorable for me about uh, 
charting the course with you on this uh, was that seeing the shift and the different eras, if you like, of the of the change, the uncertainty mm. at, at the beginning, and uh, the, and the massive scepticism, yeah, scepticism <laughs> and resistance, and all you know, natural yeah. human responses to here's another mm. bloody transformation. So much change fatigue. Yeah. So much change fatigue. But uh, mm. what was really interesting about this was that and I believe strongly believe that this is um, uh, at least fifty percent about leadership it is about mm. being willing to go out on a limb and walk walk the talk and actually show people what it takes to transform mm-hmm. the organization and one of the things that uh, you guys did brilliantly was literally put on the costumes of the story of da vinci yeah we dressed up dressed up <laughs> um you know you, you had the uh the tents and the the rucksacks and the whole yeah, thing shirts are outfits and all and you adopted the expedition theme, and uh, and this gave the organisation something to tune into to understand that this wasn't going to be easy. This is climbing the mountain. This is there's going to be altitude sickness. There's going to be grizzlies. There's going to be challenges. But there's also going to be moments of gain, and there's going to be forward parties, and there's going to be new things. We're going to discover things. So um, that sort of embodiment of of the journey, I think, was really quite remarkable, and just demonstrated amazing leadership. Um, how have you found that uh, uh, that process? What have you learnt from that? I've learnt that um, if if you as a leadership team are not prepared to put about forty percent of your time and your effort relentlessly focused on culture and mindset, leadership style and behaviours, don't even start the journey because it takes that much. Um, yeah, we spent six months as a leadership team and a senior management team um, in base camp just equipping ourselves with understanding you know, what servant leadership meant, what um, growth mindset meant, what business capability enterprise architecture was, how to, to do design thinking really well and drive that, that co-creation, creating our inspiring vision and narrative to bring the 14,500 people with us uh, along the journey and testing it all with, uh, with our internal customers, just that framing to make sure that if we said what we were going to deliver, that would meet their needs. Um, and then, you know, every moment from then, we've had to be extremely consistent and authentic in the way we show up. You know, the incidental conversations we have around the water cooler, the, the, the comms we send out, every training, every um, group gathering, we decided would be ultimately inclusive, would be um, experiential, uh, would have storytelling at its core, uh, and would be creative and fun. And if things didn't meet that criteria, they didn't happen. And today we still follow that. We always challenge ourselves. You know, is, this, is, this, is this fun enough? Is it inspiring enough? Or is it, is it just more sort of dread and doom that we're going to push through the organisation? Uh, we, we set a very, very high bar. And, uh, you know, we continue to invest in our people, uh, in developing our people leaders to be able to role model the same way we've learnt as, as the senior leaders in the organisation uh, to over the last three years. Um, so my, my biggest learning is the, the amount of effort you, you personally, as the leader of the organisation, have to put in. It, you know, never underestimate that. It's going to take a huge amount of energy. You're going to have to call yourself to account, you know, build a council of people around you who can give you feedback in the moment of where you're not quite meeting that. Um, because people will spot the chinks, they'll spot the gaps um, in, in your belief uh, and your authenticity, uh, and then you can't let that happen. Yeah, that uh, was a remarkable experience to, to work with you on that, uh, on that journey, and um, I think that uh, it's always inspiring to connect with you because 
um, you do have this optimistic outlook and you do have this great uh, uh, personal style and, and natural leadership and, and uh, I think your uh, insights today have been absolutely fabulous and uh, I really thank you for the time spent with us. That's a great conversation. Thank you, guys. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. And a special thanks to our host, Hugh Evans, and to Michael Rishworth, our sound engineer. If you like what you've been hearing and want to know when we're dropping more, then head on over to growthmagic.fm and hit the subscribe button. In our next episode, you'll hear from Buddy Teaster, CEO of Souls for Souls, a global not-for-profit that's dedicated to fighting the devastating impact and perpetuation of poverty. We'll be talking about what it takes to connect corporations and provision microenterprise programs to deliver positive impact for some of the world's most vulnerable people. Until then, stay safe.